lots to talk about this week. Uh, obviously, you know, you got Ohio State players playing in the Super Bowl. You've got new coordinators. Uh, wait, we have to call it the big game now that <laughs> the now that it's over? Or I think we're we legally to allowed that? to call it the Super Bowl as long as we're not trying to make money off of it. Which We're not going to get DCMA'd. I don't think so. DMC, I don't know how that works. I hope not. Because I'm going to say it like 500 times, and if Roger Goodell wants to come to my house and yell at me, he's free to do so. Um, so we'll talk about that. We've got new coordinators and then newer coordinators on the football team. Uh, you know, basketball, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit. Chaos at Michigan, which is always fun to get into. Delicious. Yes, and maybe even a little bit of wrestling. Who knows? So all of that we'll get into and talk about in due time. But let's go ahead and start with that Super Bowl and, you know, kind of the other things that were going around the NFL. Because it's not just the Super Bowl. It's also the lead up to the Super Bowl in which they give out awards and kind of finalize the season and all that good stuff. Uh, the Super Bowl itself, I'm sure. Well, I know you watched it because we were discussing it on Slack as we watched it. And, you know, it, it was a game that was pretty, uh, I would say, ass until the fourth quarter. <laughs> That's the <laughs> phrase I would use, the adjective. And then it got incredibly interesting and exciting. And, you know, for a long time, it was a, it was a very defensively dominated game. And for our rooting interest, at least in terms of Ohio State players, both Nick Bosa and Chase Young were having monster games, playing extremely well. Chase Young in particular had been playing a lot better than he had been in a while. And Nick Bosa, of course, was just, you know, eating it up. And some of those, I don't know if you saw, George, did you see those videos where uh, it was like uncalled holds against Ch- or against Nick Bosa? Oh, I posted it in the Slack oh, yeah, today because okay. I didn't see, like, Dan was the first one to point it out to us, and I didn't really know what he was talking about. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty egregious. <laughs> Somebody compared the way that Bosa was getting held by the right tackle on the Chiefs to the way that Usher held Alicia Keys, <laughs> and it was a it was a strikingly accurate comparison. It was like a one-to-one. They were not calling it for anything on poor Nick last and night. And can I, I mean... I understand that people have this thing where they talk about, oh, well, there's holding on every play. So, I mean, you're going to miss some of it. But here's my point. Everybody knew that Nick Bosa, especially at that point in the game, right? By the by the second and third quarter, Nick Bosa was clearly dominating, you know, whoever he was lined up against, you know, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Wouldn't you, as a referee, watch that and go, maybe I need to keep an eye on this because there's going to be holding. Like, I know there's going to be holding. It, it depends on what the what narrative Goodell wants you to <laughs> run right. with. That's right. Or, or how rigged, I guess, the game actually was. But I just, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that Kansas City was getting away with with these guys because they were just annihilating their offensive line for large stretches of the game. And, of course, eventually Mahomes you know, takes over and, and ends up winning the game in overtime. But, you know, great performances by Ohio State players. I think Mahomes is just a little too um, – the word I heard on the radio today was inevitable. Uh, he is who he is. I mean, he's – Woof, that is a good word. It is. It is. Uh, shout out to the the guys on 97.1 for that one. It was – he – I don't know. You, people want to have this debate about him and Brady right now. I think that's stupid. I mean – who knows what's going to happen to Mahomes in the next five? I mean, look, we'll never not jump at the opportunity to discredit a Michigan football player. <laughs> That's on fair. Show. That's I mean, fair. And I'll say Mahomes is the goat. Right and if now Mahomes, and if it's alone. what te- he's Texas Tech, right? 
So right. if a Texas Tech dude wants to end up, you know, taking the throne from a Michigan man, I'm not going to complain about that. I think it's a little premature, but again, I like Mahomes a lot more than I like Brady's. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was the way the game kind of felt like it was always going to play out, but ultimately a pretty entertaining game, at least the last you know quarter and then the overtime period. And it just sucks that, you know, Ohio State players couldn't walk away with the ring, I guess. Well, that's quite an about phase because you, you began this sec- se- uh, section of the show by describing it as ass. And I was going to, you know, The follow- first three quarters were decidedly ass. Like, let's I, be I, The first half was not that great. And it's funny because I actually, like, I briefly got into an argument with someone in one of my fantasy leagues about it last night because everyone's saying, like, oh, ah, insane game and whatever. And I was like, eh, tough start, good finish. Yeah. And then somebody clapped back at me and was like, tough start that was a defensive chess game master class <laughs> great super bowl no and i was like on. the first quarter ended nothing nothing right. we saw a muff we saw two fumbles there wasn't a touchdown until like five minutes left in the first half and it was a meme like what what was his name on the 49ers johnson i think that threw it back across the yeah, other half yeah. the field of McCaffrey. that was great, was great. super exciting but that was the first jolt of excitement we got. I The only people that were enjoying the first half of the Super Bowl last night were the people responsible for raking in all the ad revenue on the commercials. Right, and underbetters who were probably like with increasingly growing glee going, yes, I'm making money tonight. But until overtime. Until happened. overtime happened, and then I guess that kind of blew everything up. Um Vegas knows, man, because I think the point total ended at 48. Yeah, right? wasn't it 47 and a half before the game? That, yeah, which is like, <laughs> holy cow, man. Don't. The house this always is wins. why you got you, you got right, and especially when the Super Bowl's in Vegas. And, th- and this is kind of why I, like, fell out of love with, like, betting on the season as, like, the season went further along. And what I noticed was you, if you want to find an edge – you find your edge in the first two months of the season where people are still largely setting the the lines and the input based on stuff that happened the previous season as opposed to how the off season shaped and evolved these teams mm-hmm. now. And if you're able to like pick up on where the differences are, I remember that Dolphins Patriots in September was a pick'em. <laughs> and then they and then the Patriots I think lost Trent Brown who was their best offensive player right. right tackle and I remember thinking there's no way that the Dolphins that are electric between Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are going to lose to a Patriots team that just doesn't have an offense and just blew its only tire that it had right and they ended up comfortably winning and I remember thinking after that I the lines are only going to get sharper from here as the market corrects. So the less data going, is available for the better for the guys making the betting lines available, the better of a chance. Right. You have to so have. if you're confident in your ability to conceptually evaluate football, the time for you to make money is not at the end of the season right. when the market is super, super fixed based and not fixed in the sense of rigged, but just fixed in the sense that the lines are going right. to be tight. And there were so many player prop bet. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that made money last night, but you still hear about these other stories of people like, 
one guy that bet on the 49ers in Michigan I saw lost like $1.3 million <laughs> or something yesterday. That's... It's like, don't don't just bet on the game for the sake of like, it's the last NFL game yeah, of the yeah, season. Yeah. It's the Super Bowl. You got to pick your it. spots. You got to pick your spots way, way earlier right. in the season than this if you want to be successful. Unless you feel like you have some kind of beat on Reba McIntyre, which, by the way, I think she hit the. Despite having a very, I think she had the fastest anthem ever. I it heard. was Is fast, that correct? It was fast, but I don't know. I was looking at the Washington Post. They their over under on it was ninety point five seconds. She went for a minute and forty seconds, so she hit the over on it. But it was one of the fastest renditions of the star spangled banner in in uh, super bowl history so i or at least as far as they know but um yeah i don't know i just thought I, i'm still not over post malone singing america the beautiful <laughs> like as soon as they announced that i was like wow i mean this is this is really what we're going with for like the star-studded affair in vegas we got posty on america the beautiful and then good old reba by the way be, before i get into the uh the other ohio state um uh, you know, representatives, I guess, for the Super Bowl week and leading up to it. How did you feel about the halftime show? Well, we we had a, a interesting discussion about that in Slack too, and you know, I mean, it's it's hard for them to screw it up. That's yeah. that's what I'll say. It, well, and when you think right it's going to be bad, you I can think. usually see it. You can usually see it very far right, in advance exactly. when it's not going to go well, exactly. like when Madonna did it yeah. and they had to like shoehorn MIA into there to kind of like <laughs> get her to the finish line uh-huh. and then MIA flip the bird at everybody. I remember I was I was hosting a Super Bowl party when that happened and that was that was pretty funny to witness, but it uh in most cases, I mean cuz you said, you know, the last 10-15 years you felt like they had largely been not really bat like none of them had really been off yeah there's been a couple of them to screw up at this point for the most part i think if they pick the right person to do the halftime show you know what you're gonna get and it's gonna be solid and like usher like you know he hasn't done a ton since confessions and that was two decades ago but confessions is a banger and he's still a good performer and it was a good halftime show i liked it here's the thing i'm not i'm not super tuned into the usher discography like (laughs) he's not my not my primary go-to where r&b is because uh don't get me wrong i mean i like some songs that didn't make it on there last night Mm. i was disappointed that there goes my baby wasn't Mm, on there and that's surprised actually that didn't yeah but the the one that i did want to hear that i thought was woefully woefully underrepresented was let it burn Mm. and it is exclusively because i am a religious freak when it comes to the boondocks and one of the (laughs) funniest moments in the entire show is when Cedric Yarborough as Tom Dubois is lamenting that his wife is in love with Usher and wants to meet Usher. <laughs> and so he creates a music video of himself singing Let It Burn, supported by an entirely white group of backup dancers in the neighborhood. And is like, it's just one of the funniest moments in the show. And I was hoping that there was going to be a little bit more representation for that. I didn't expect him to bring out Cedric Yarbrough, but it would have been nice to at least see some sort of acknowledgement of what let it burn means to the boondocks fandom in some way. But (laughs) that would have been a little bit too niche, I think, on the Super Bowl stage. 
However, once that had kind of sailed, I was just kind of like, all right, Usher's going to do his thing. And, you know, women are going, oh, my God, it's crazy. Takes his shirt off. The guys are going to be like, why is this guy so sweaty? But, you know, it's. <laughs> Takes his shirt he did off. Fine. He did fine. I saw some people that were like, this is the best one ever. And I'm nah, just like, I you mean, probably say that every year. There's so many prisoners of the moment when it comes to I this agree. Stuff. He was good. He was good. He, he did a great job. It was a solid B. And I. Th- Doesn't crack my top five. I agree. I agree. It was a solid B. It was good uh you know luda coming up for you know yeah that's great you know that's fun um but no top five no it's it's not do you think he was wearing a wig or that was his actual hair oh god i don't know i mean do you think he could still blow it out like that even at his age because that (laughs) i i was like i was kind of skeptical a little bit you know i i would i don't know that's a good question i feel like i feel like he could i feel like he's got i mean (laughs) ludicrous might be sneakily one of the richest dudes in hollywood uh, in between the Fast and the Furious movies and his insane music career and like all the residuals he gets from a billion like just bangers that he's done guest stuff you know stuff on other things, so I feel like if anyone's able to maintain his hairline, it's going to be that's a good point. It's going to be ludicrous. But again, it's not even about the hairline as much as the volume. Oh yeah, well that was like that. I it's love like that too. we're talking about 15 years ago when he was doing you know when I move you move with that <laughs> haircut. Right. And like, but that's what I loved about yeah. it. I love that throwback to it because. Because I don't know, I was a huge Ludacris fan, uh, you know, in my teenage years. Because I just I loved his humor and his energy and all that stuff. So that was cool having him there. Uh, I liked the I liked it. It was good. Like I said, solid B. Uh, real quick, so let's let's actually talk about the Ohio State uh, players who were recognized. Big shock, uh, and by that I mean you know to absolutely no one that C.J. Stroud was the AP NFL Rookie of the Year, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year, and thoroughly earned and deserved he took a texan team that was you know basically not expected to do anything the uh the entire season i mean i think the over under at the beginning of the season was like five or six wins takes him to a playoff win that nobody expected was consistently great all season i mean it wasn't one of those things where you know he blows up and has a really great stretch and then you know maybe falls off i mean he was good from start to finish uh, not good. He was great from start to finish, uh, thoroughly earned. And I, you know, you got to believe that this is a guy who's going to go on to continue to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for a very long time. Um, and if they can get some weapons around them, some like true, like game breaking type guys, look, look out because that's going to be a tough team to beat. That'll be really interesting. Well, to your point, I mean, there were a lot of people that anticipated when Tank Dell got hurt mm-hmm. that that was oh, going to kind of be. He had lost his favorite target and the team was going to kind of fall apart from there. And instead they were able to adapt and adjust and they kept their momentum going. So he may not even need that many more super sophisticated weapons at his disposal in order to keep, you know, some semblance of the same level of success. I will say that it does feel like him not going number one overall took some of the pressure off a little bit relative to expectations and I think that next year there's going to be a lot like the the standard of what people are expecting is going to be much higher than what it was this year. And that's probably why he was able to blow away so much of the national audience a little bit. Mm-hmm. As Ohio State fans, we had a much better idea of what to expect. Right. So I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of other like, oh, I'm not surprised. And, you know, every everybody is, you know whipping the uh the the test taking service for uh whatever it ended up being <laughs> right that right. you know sandbagged his draft stock now but i yeah it 
it's always nice to see uh, a, a race that is not really in dispute. Um, I remember being particularly upset when Vince Young beat Devin Hester for uh, rookie of the year. Um, although I think, I think that was a little bit of a, I'm not sure if back then they had split up offensive and defensive at that point, And that technically didn't really make Hester eligible, but I remember thinking like, this is clearly the most impactful rookie in the sport this year. And they're just going to give it to Vince Young because he's a quarterback and a Heisman trophy winner. Right, right, and that's right. pretty lame. So it's, I've, I always enjoy seeing when there's like a name, regardless of whose team it's on that nobody is in dispute that this is the guy. And for Stroud to unequivocally earn that goes a long, long way towards, as we kind of pointed out, you know, much earlier on when it was obvious, like when Stroud had just made the playoffs, dispelling the narrative of Ohio State quarterbacks not Mm -hmm. being able to succeed in the NFL this year from Stroud has emphatically closed that door. So great to see very happy for him. We'll see if he can continue the momentum into next year. And the, the crazier thing, and one of the more unsung narratives, I think, you know, especially outside of Ohio state circles is how many years since like 2016, is it now that Ohio state has had at least one, of the rookie of the years. Oh, in the isn't NFL? it like six or seven years in a row or something like that? It's, uh, I don't know if it's in a row, but it's a complete, it's a pretty ridiculous stretch yeah. since Joey Bosa got And these it aren't one-off in dudes what who I think like, was 2016. Who are flash in the pan either. I mean, you've got guys who have been consistent contributors who have really just kicked ass in the NFL for, you know, a while now. And it's, it's impressive. And the longevity, I think, speaks to, A, the talent that they're bringing to the program, but then also, you know, some of the coaching and ability that they have. Now, the problem with that is that with that talent and, and that highly visible talent comes expectations that, okay, well, you haven't won a championship with all these guys. And that's, I think, where the critique is going to come, uh, you know, at the college level. But at the NFL level, I mean, these guys are clearly insane talents, and it's awesome to see. Also awesome to see, and something that, I, you know, I've been, I was really surprised by is that, so Cam Hayward wins the NFL Walter Payton man of the year. Right. And, you know, this is a guy who had been nominated six times uh, for this award, finally won it. It probably honestly more than any accolade than I think he's ever gotten in his career. Cam Hayward's been around for a long time at this point. That probably meant more to him than any other award that he's gotten in the NFL. And, just an unbelievably incredible person, a great guy, a uh, a guy who's been the face of that franchise, really, I think, for the last, you know, several years. And, it, you know, only really gotten better with age. Not not just the fact that he's an incredible human being, but an unbelievable player on the field. I think, you know, we're going to talk also here about, you know, Randy Gratishar getting into the, uh, the, college, or the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, and again, deserved, you know, one of the uh, most legendary linebackers in Ohio State history. I, I got to feel at some point that Cam Hayward's going to be following him into the hall uh, at some point as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
And, you know, let me just say, I, I always love hearing these salty uh, Browns and Bengals fans <laughs> have to say something nice about a Steelers player. I will so, never feel bad know, about keep, saying something nice about Hayward. I, I will never, ever feel, uh, feel bad about saying something nice about Cam Hayward. He is an oh, awesome You should expand game. that to the rest of the AFC North, I refuse. short of the, that team up in Cleveland. I refuse. And I'm just happy when I re- <laughs> Well, maybe Denzel Ward, who also had a great season. And, you know what, we actually, on the website, we wrote up... Uh, well, I say we like I did anything. I did nothing. Um, We're a collective conscious. That's right. That's right. The the uh, the hell spawn that is eleven warriors. Uh, no, it was jeez. Um, uh, it was it was essentially. I think it was Dan who wrote it up, but I want to make sure I get this correct because I don't want to. Dan Dan does like all the NFL Buckeye stuff, so it's a safe assumption. Yeah, we were talking about uh, on the website uh, the uh, the guys in the NFL, the uh, the players who you know really balled out the most. It was Dan, um, and if you look at the lists, you know not just of the top ten that he listed, but really everybody you know that's involved. I mean, even a guy like Pete Warner with the New Orleans Saints had a great season he had 93 tackles on the season he did a great job sam hubbard obviously great season but you look at some of these names and like these are franchise dudes i mean you know chris Olave going out there and with the saints having 1100 yards plus you know taylor decker goes and and holds it down at left tackle one of the best uh, offensive linemen in the league um shoot big Thanos Decker it feels like he finally got hit the recognition that he's deserved for a while this year he's it it, like I know probably his biggest headline moment was the controversy that happened at the end of that I think it was against the Cowboys when they uh he should have caught the two-point conversion didn't end up getting it but as they the further they got in the playoffs it when they were pointing to like the long tenured lions that had been waiting for this moment. He was kind of the first immediate name that a lot of people both on that team and in larger NFL circles were bringing up is that this guy's been waiting for this and he deserves this moment. So yep. I, yeah, absolutely. And that's coming for, you know, I just made fun of the fact that, Oh, you got to listen to this, this, rival afc north person <laughs> right. say something nice about, about the, the steelers you gotta talk about the lions as a bears fan i gotta say something nice about the that's lions right. but you know it's uh i i'm i'm happy for decker and that's always happy to see the buckeye succeed yeah. regardless but, of what team you know, they're on but for decker it was really nice finally agree. after so many years. And, and you know a guy like jonathan cooper seventh round draft pick coming out there with eight and a half sacks on the year just doing all kinds of stuff for the, uh, yeah, the him Broncos. and browning had a pretty great year they for were Broncos, fantastic. i think even though they were kind of mired in the mud through a lot of the year with you know living in the shadow of uh mr danger russ well, <laughs> that's right um but even a guy like let's ride yeah but even a guy like noah brown going out there with the texans and, and you know looking like showing flashes i mean big thanos dewan jones went out there and had a great season uh for the cleveland browns yeah let's Um, let's not focus too much on the browns well i mean you know he did he did i would totally undo everything i just said if we didn't jones had he phenomenal yeah and and i think a lot of people because he was on his way i think to having like you know just an unbelievable season just i don't know absolutely and he i i think he was another guy that kind of had his draft stock sandbag mm-hmm. going into the process and people just kind of questioning, you know, what his drive was, yeah, his athleticism, like he, all that stuff, you know, the, his consistency, like him consistently being able to get himself into playing shape. But 
again, we all saw it as, you know, when he was at school, it was like when the guy's on, he's one of the best at his position in the country. And for him to like be able to stay in an environment close to that and get with NFL minds that are kind of able to get him right and on the right trajectory. Mm -hmm. He was just one of those guys that it was like, you put him in the right situation around the right people and he's going to really be able to excel. And it's, it's interesting because I, I remember that he, I don't, I don't know if it was the conditioning test, but I remember it got reported that he got like, physically ill on the first day of like practice he attended for the Browns because he couldn't really like keep up with what was going on and at kind of like the people that have been criticizing him and like the fall or whatever they're like oh well there you go he's not really able to cut it out but it's just you get you put these guys that are talented especially ones that haven't even necessarily been primarily committed to football for that long because it's important to remember Dewan was really thinking about coming to college to play basketball for a minute <laughs> and yeah. you you get their mind right on the trajectory for like this is what you need to focus on in order to get the most out of you and in a lot of cases with the NFL I mean you you have the personnel that are there and able to do that even in a place like Cleveland and so yeah I Dewan Another really, really great example of rookie success that I think because of the injury is going to kind of get unfortunately swept away. But he's going to be a guy, I think, that is set up for a really, really big bounce back next year. And, uh, you know, for a team like Cleveland that, it, you know, for all the the lampooning I do of them, they've had a pretty consistently excellent track record of producing top level tackles for what feels like my entire adult life, right. at least since Joe Thomas, that's that's a great situation for him to be in, and I think one he's going to continue to thrive in. So all around, really, really great year for the the Buckeyes in the NFL, I think. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not also talk about uh, the big news that was going on with Ohio State during all of this hullabaloo leading up to the, uh, to the, uh, the Super Bowl. And that's, of course... Ohio State hiring and then losing an offensive coordinator and then hiring, uh, I think, someone who, you know, if you said this dude was going to be Ohio State's offensive coordinator like three or four years ago, I don't think anybody would have believed you. Uh, But you start off with Bill O'Brien as the hire for Ohio State's offensive coordinator. A lot of people dog on that, make fun of it because Bob's kind of a meme, fine. Uh, he ends up taking the head coaching job at Boston College. Not a huge shock. I mean, that's for several reasons, family reasons, cultural reasons, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's a place where he fits. And then Ohio State goes out and hires Chip Kelly as their offense coordinator, Chip Kelly, who wanted to get the hell out of UCLA and was able to find his way to Columbus. So, you know, there were rumors like of Chip Kelly, uh, you know, interviewing like people were I don't even know if it was a joke. I don't know. But they were talking about him, like reaching out to Iowa, talking to other teams, like how can I get a valet? And, you know, I think partnering up with his old mentee, Ryan Day in Columbus is, you know, I would say is at least a partial upgrade over Bill O'Brien. I, I think there's a lot of things that Kelly brings to the table. My big thing is I don't think this hurts Ohio State in general. Like if if you were worried about this impact on recruiting, like, oh, you just lost a guy who was an NFL coach. Well, now you've got a guy in Kelly who has similar credentials as Bill O'Brien. 
He, I think, is a better offensive coordinator. And I think there's also going to be better um, camaraderie. I don't know if the word is. It's going to be more copacetic in the coaching room because these are guys who know each other a little bit better. So I'm happy with the hire. I think things that Kelly has done, particularly in the offensive running game, particularly Zach Charbonnet went from Michigan where he was garbage with the Wolverines to a really fantastic player with the, uh, with UCLA, with the Bruins um, quickly. And I think it's in large part because of the way that uh, Chip Kelly was able to scheme up uh, ways for him to get uh, open in space and, and, and do things with blocking that allowed that guy to thrive. When you've got a guy like uh, Judkins and Henderson in the same backfield, to me, Chip Kelly is the kind of hire that you want to make to make sure that those two guys are going to be successful and productive in 2024. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going to do wonders. And, you know, I think it's going to continue to help bring in those offensive recruits. So I'm excited about it. I I just think back to when Bill O'Brien was brought on and the like kind of mixed bag of reactions. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, you know, is the, the steady presence that we try to be <laughs> among the, you That's know, right. the, the, the scale the, of Ohio the sobering State yin to everyone else's raging yang. That's, that's who we right. are. Right. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Uh, we, we, you know, we want to call it a safe hire, yeah, yeah. you know, a guy that is, you know, very credentialed both recently in the NFL and college in terms of being someone that day can comfortably delegate authority to. Right. But the other side of that was the people that were critical you know, in some ways we're also calling it a safe hire and saying it was too safe and that, you know, Bill O'Brien was too vanilla and that this wasn't going to work. Well, did you get what you wanted? (laughs) Cause now we got chip Kelly, who's in some circles considered a mad scientist and an evil G maybe not evil, some kind of football genius, but to other, I mean, he's a total freak. The, the image that I keep sharing from his NFL days of this insane formation he loves to run with three, three down linemen, right, yes. the tackles split out wide on either side of the field into trips. Nothing says you I can't need, do that. <laughs> I need to see that in this Ohio State offense next season at least once. Could you imagine if they had this two years ago and you could have run a trips wide with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave lined up next to Dewan Jones. Oh my God. Uh, that would be the most beautiful even, screen I've ever seen. Even if, even if Stroud had gotten sacked immediately on that play, it would have been worth it just for the visual. Like it wouldn't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I don't, I can't imagine we're going to see anything that unhinged from Kelly. And I'm sure Day's probably going to be like, let's pump the brakes here. Yeah. But it is you. the thing that I think that you really have to like about this hire relative to what maybe wasn't going to be there with Bill O'Brien. In theory, we were comfortable with the delegation of authority. Mm-hmm. In this case, Day not only will feel comfortable delegating authority to Chip because of the you know, what he's already handled on his own, but the chemistry's built in. Right. I mean, how often people pointed it out as soon as it hired, they, there's that picture of when Day was quarterback in New Hampshire and Chip Kelly was his offensive coordinator. 
how often do you see an opportunity to invert that coaching relationship? Yeah. It's incredibly rare. Yeah, two, I, I, I honestly can't think of how many other instances there have been in high-level football where that's taken place. Yeah. So the fact that they have that rapport built in already and that understanding of how they want to run the offense that they both have input on, I think is going to go a very, very long way towards a healthy transition into whatever adjustments they want to make going into this next season as well as as they're trying to evaluate who's going to be you know the best option at quarterback going forward after you know the Will Howard rental is done after this year assuming he wins the job mm-hmm. it, you have to feel good about the fact that they've got all this built-in rapport already how that's going to affect not just the construction of the offense but then also everyone else's comfort level to operate within it when you have these guys on the same page. So in many ways, I feel like this is actually an even better hire than Bill O'Brien. Oh, I think it's definitely even a better hire than the Bill O'Brien. The Bill O'Brien hire may have inspired more a greater sense of security. I think for when you dive into the details of why this works for Ohio State, there's a lot more to like here than there was with uh, Mr. B.O.B., who I hope does very well in Boston. I do too. And uh, all the best to his, uh, the health of his son as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is like, I'm 100% with you. I think it's absolutely a better hire than Bill O'Brien. I, you know, there are some, I think worries whenever you bring on, you know, a, a new coordinator, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, just in terms of like, what's the fit? Like how, how is this going to, how is this person going to work with the rest of the staff? Because it doesn't always work. I mean, sometimes you have personality clashes. You know, there were numerous times during Urban Meyer's tenure where he would bring on a guy and it just it clearly wasn't working for whatever reason. I mean, a guy like Tim Beck. Who, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Well, a guy like Tim Beck who was afraid to even talk to his head coach. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where you, you want the fit uh, to be good so that these guys can can work together, can make a good uh, you know, an offense that works, all this kind of stuff. And the fact that Ryan Day has been adamant, like, I am not going to be calling play calls. I need to find somebody who is going to give me the confidence to continue to say that as we lead into the season. And and really, you know, a lot of people go back to the situation with Brian Hartline, right, where people were talking about, oh, yeah, this guy is going to be, you know, taking over some of these play calling duties. And I think ultimately it was just a situation where Ryan Day didn't feel confident or comfortable enough to turn over those duties to Brian Hartline. And I think with a guy like Chip Kelly, he absolutely feels that he can do that. So, you know, it's, it remains to be seen exactly how all of this works out. There's a lot of new moving parts going forward, but all of those parts seem pretty damn good. And I am excited about how this is all going to play out. And I think they've got a lot if, if they want to be creative, and this is something that I've always been asking for, you know, from the time that I think Ryan Day started to turtle in big games a little bit, you know, when we started to see that, it's like, look, man, just let your freak flag fly. Do, you know, do crazy stuff. Be creative. Well, now you've got the players, the playmakers, and the coaches who are able to do that. So let's get a little weird with it. And I think they've got the talent to make that 
work all the way up to a national championship game. So I, I want to see that in action. You've got the pieces. Now you got to do it. So I'm excited about it. I think they're going to. Well, when day lets his free flag fry, fly, say that five times fast. <laughs> uh, he, he starts, you know, getting in shouting matches with Lou Holtz. Well, so and I, I, I don't know if I wanted to go that far. I also want that. Oh, you want more of That's that. That's right. Until, until Lou Holtz admits that he's wrong. No, <laughs> By the way, I actually... Lou Holtz won that beat. He did win that beat. By the way. He won the beat. Yes, he did. Ohio State won the battle in South Bend, but lost the war of college football narratives for last season. I agree. Um, All right. So I think that'll be uh, real exciting. Uh, I recommend that everybody goes to the website and check out, uh, you know, what we've written about um, Chip Kelly and the whole situation with Bob and all that kind of stuff. If you want to see some statistical information, if you want to see some analysis about, you know, play calling and all that, uh, I know that uh, Kyle Jones, our very own Kyle Jones, is also going to put out some uh, pretty great stuff about Chip Kelly and what he's going to be doing for Ohio State. So definitely check that out. And we also want you to check out the Dry Goods store at eleven at drygoods.elevenwarriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. It's great. Let's do Ask Us Anything. And I want to remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. I'm actually really excited for this one because it's, uh, as as our friend Andy Vance would say, it's a, it's a fellow SOB, Southern Ohio boy. Um, this is uh, Ken from Westchester, the WC. I got to throw up, I got to throw up the WC for Westchester. <laughs> Uh, um, by the way, it appears so. Uh, this is is a spiritual son of Saint Clairsville. I'll participate in this bit. There you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, by the way, apparently we made a, a bit of a boo boo uh, in a show last week or the week before. Uh, so he says it is said that the 2015 team went on to beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. That was the 2017 uh, team. Uh, the 2015 team went on to beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. I had actually forgotten about that win over Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. That, that was my last year of college, so that had to have been you. There's no way I was. Oh, I'm sure I screwed that up. up. I'm sure that was me. By the way, he also includes a picture of him with Jalen Marshall, Middletown's own Jalen Marshall. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the, before the game in Scottsdale. Unsung hero of that national title team. He was, and he had not just – I mean, there were some very specific moments where Jalen Marshall – was critical to that team staying on course, particularly against Indiana. That was a game. Oh, that the Indiana game was absurd. He scored like yeah. four touchdowns in 10 minutes at one right. point. He, he single-handedly turned that game on its head he and did. blew them out of the and water. And it was, it was a game that was played in the aftermath of an ice storm. There was like 20,000 people in the shoe. It was ridiculous. And then against both um, Alabama and in the national championship game, he had some monster catches on third and longs that kept Ohio state driving. So yeah, Jalen Marshall, shout out to him. Uh, all right. So real quick, this is uh, an ask us anything. This is, I like this one a lot. And as a library employee, it's something we've been preparing for a little bit. So on Monday, April 8th, in just about two months here, we will have a full eclipse in Butler County, a total solar eclipse that will go through Ohio uh, that will in Butler County and in Middletown where I'm from, my parents live, they will be in the path of totality. And this question is, is it a Marvel, something interesting, much ado about nothing or overhyped? I got to tell you something, man, I am, I'm salty. I'm not going to be able to get the day off uh, of work of this because 
uh, where I work will still be in the path of the eclipse and it, it won't be totality. It'll be near totality, but not complete totality. I think this is a huge honking deal. It's a once in a lifetime thing, uh, you know, based on Ohio's general weather history, it will probably be raining, but I still think it's going to be sick. <laughs> so I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be really cool. And uh, I don't know. I'm Hopefully, apparently last time there was a solar eclipse, it was just a partial solar in Ohio. Yeah, um, I've seen partials. I've never seen a total one. So if you're going to get a chance to see a total here, I mean, you got to go. Think, you got to go run with that. It's crazy. I agree. And I like I said, turn my, out the lights at noon. Yeah, come man. on. And, and my parents, like I said, my parents' house is in the path of totality. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Um, all right, this is from Kevin. Now that football, the football roster is pretty much set along with everybody else. I don't know that's necessarily true, but okay. Do you think Ohio State football has the guns to win the national championship? 100% yes, Kevin, they do. Now, whether or not they can do that, they have to navigate an extended college football playoff. That remains to be seen. Uh, my Honestly, my attention right now is just beating Michigan, and, and they better freaking beat Michigan this year, especially after some of the things that we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. Um, but yes, I think in terms of talent, they will, they will have either the most talented or one of the two most talented rosters in college football. They, they absolutely do. Yeah. I I hope that the, and it kind of feels like this is the way that things are trending relative to what the team is focusing on, but it, it's one step at a time when it comes to this, you can make your goal. We want to win the national championship, but to get there, you got to win you know, two or th- now next year, it's going to be like three college football playoff games. If you want to, you know, put yourself in the best position to do that. You have to win the big 10 championship. Yep. And if you want to go to the big 10 championship, you're going to have to beat Michigan. So, yep. you know, get the most important thing done first. The road goes through Ann Arbor, whether we want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. So pave it yeah. with the blood of Wolverines. <laughs> there you go. I love that. Uh, Okay, this one's from Bryant, who says that our family decided to do something fun this year and celebrate the Chinese slash Lunar New Year. Uh, Turned out we had a lot of fun with it, made dumplings, my wife made lo mein, we decorated and had my parents over. Uh, My nine-year-old daughter learned a ton. It was really cool, and I totally recommend it. That's cool. That's awesome. Good for you guys. Uh, So ask us anything. Have either of you celebrated any non-traditionally American holidays, or do you have any holidays that you recommend celebrating that aren't the usual? I'm going to get a Festivus pull up one of these years. <laughs> Isn't that quintessentially American though? Like just, you know, the area. Oh, no, that's a, that's an, that is an international phenomenon, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. There you go. I guess that's fair. I like Festivus. For, it's called Festivus for the rest of us right. for a reason. That's right. That's not the rest of us Americans. It's the rest of us humans. The difference um, is most people don't have a podcast in which they can do an airing of grievances every week. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm very fortunate for that. And so I don't, I, I get the Festivus out of my system just about every week I get to talk to you. John. Have you but, ever heard? Okay. So I saw this. Um, I, I cannot pronounce this festival. There's a Hungarian festival. And I, I guess I only know about this because I saw it in uh, like a German movie at one point. But there's this Hungarian festival where they like celebrate the end of winter. And the way they do it is they dress up in these 
like unbelievably intricate monster costumes that can be like eight or nine feet tall. Like it basically looks, makes everybody look like they're from where the wild things are. I think I saw a video of that, like a few, yeah, yeah, yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers and awesome. And I love that kind of stuff. Like the crazier, the better. I think that's so great. I love the kite festival. I think there's a Peruvian, I want to say it's in Peru where they have these Peruvian kite festivals. Um, I think those are also really sweet. Let me make sure it's actually Peru. I was in Hong Kong in June in 2014 when they do. I don't think it's the kite festival, but no, they Guatemala. have some like. I'm mon- sorry, I, I'm doing Guatemala dirty. I pre- I, I apologize. <laughs> well, they have some kind of like I can't remember what it is, but it's something like a kite festival in Hong Kong during June. I, I want to look this up because I, I was doing an internship there through the Fisher college of business in 2014 while that was going on. And that was a cool thing to participate. That's cool. Might be like a duck festival or something. I don't know. It's uh, I'm, I'm going to look this up so that I get it right. Otherwise in terms of non-traditional holidays, um, you know, unfortunately I'm pretty vanilla. I will say as a, as an Irish person, I've always found it funny that Cinco de Mayo is a pretty big hit over there. (laughs) Um, so that, That's always something I found interesting. The, the, um, it's the Sumpango. I think, what is this? The Sumpango Kite Festival. I, that's If you look up some pictures of it, it's super wild. These kites are like literally like 30 feet in diameter and they, they like shove them off the edge of a cliff and they, they put them up in the air. It looks freaking sweet. So yeah. 100%. So in, in Hong Kong, every June, they have what's called the Dragon Boat Festival. Oh yeah, Dragon Boat. Those are cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I was I got to be there for I was there in May and June of 2014, and I I got to see the city really come alive. And it's interesting too because like their spring season is like crazy. It's like monsoons mm-hmm. all the time. Oh, believe me, tell me, crazy about it. humidity, low visibility. It, it's not a fun place to look at, even though the city's incredible, mm-hmm. or at least it was before you know recent events. This is. Yeah, I remember this is 10 years ago before uh, stuff started cracking down over there right. in some ways. But it, uh, but then June comes and the rain subsides and the sky opens up and uh, you see all these colorful boats out all the time. And uh, all the food is like really, really great. And it's a really cool time to be in the city. So that I guess that's probably the closest answer I would have relative to non-traditional holidays. But that that's kind of like a month long thing. I might go to Germany for Oktoberfest later this year. So we'll, we'll see whether I, yeah, I've never, I am like, I, I am German as well as Irish and Ukrainian. And I've not, I've only been to Ireland of those three. Nice. So it would be cool to go back to the motherland for uh, what is, I have some, you know, I have some family who've been to nice the Oktoberfest over there and they've, they've said it's an awesome time. So I think that's cool. Um, probably cooler than the Cincinnati Oktoberfest, which kind of sucks. Uh, so he also has an addendum to this. He says to Johnny, a resident international traveler, are there any Japanese holidays that we should be celebrating that we just don't know about? Oh, my chopped liver. I just gave a whole tangent about Hong Kong. I I mean, I, I did live in Japan. I was there for a year. So I will say where I lived, there was a, um, uh, there was a festival called the Banshi Matsuri, which Matsuri just means festival. Uh, Banshi means basin. And, it was basically a celebration of like the rains that bring, you know, uh, I guess uh, p- plenty to the, uh, to the region where I was living. Um, 
because it is in this big bowl depression, this basin uh, that's surrounded by mountains. That was kind of cool. Uh, you know what? They they have a lot. I mean, one of the things that Japan does really, really well is just festivals in general. Oban is a huge one, and it's kind of like their Day of the Dead a little bit. They they celebrate like their ancestors, and it's kind of one of the. It's, it's honestly like a combination of like Thanksgiving and the Day of the Dead. Everybody kind of goes back to their hometowns where they're originally from, and they they you know reminisce about their ancestors and their family members that have passed and things like that. It's a really cool festival. Uh, they have something called Golden Week, where there's a series of uh, festivals in a row, and everybody just basically takes the whole week off. That's really cool. I love, like, they've got, like, Children's Day that they do. That's a lot of fun. There's all kind of activities activities for kids. Um, you know, anything surrounded, like, Cherry Lawson festivals, those are always sick. They're, there's just, they, they, again, one of the things I just really, really loved about living in Japan was all the festivals. Uh, there was one, there was the Hanabi Festival near where I lived, which was um, uh, just a fireworks festival. And they were just, you know, it wasn't just like red, white, and boom. I was fireworks going off like all day, even though you couldn't see half of them. It was, it was sick. It was great. So lots and lots of things to check out about uh, Japanese holidays and festivals. It's, it's a lot of fun. So Oban is, I think, one of the cooler ones. Um, but there's a lot there. And a lot of the, like, the local ones are really interesting. Um, there was one that I went to where a friend of mine, like, they built a small house out of, uh, uh, like, logs and stuff. And then they set it on fire. And then they spent an hour, like, doing a traditional, like, interpretive dance around it. And it was this, like, incredibly involved thing where they practiced for weeks and weeks and weeks to do it. And it was really, really cool to see. Um, there was another one where a kid, it was like guarantee a good fall harvest and a kid practices on the back of a pickup truck, uh, shooting targets with his you know bow and arrow. And then on the day of, he gets in this unbelievably intricate ornate costume and rides on the back of a horse down the main drag of the, the town and shoots targets on the back of a horse. And it was just, again, watching all this stuff, you're like, Oh my God, this is so involved and unbelievable. And the whole town gets into it. So I really recommend checking out a lot of that stuff because they they know how to do a party and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, I've never been to Japan, but I would like to. It's a hell of a you time, speak man. Very highly of it. It rules. Um, and speaking of, this is last questions from our good friend Alvin. Who is our favorite Dragon Ball Z character? <laughs> Which I, okay, I well, we we need to clarify when we asked on the show a couple weeks ago who's the the Krillin and in, in the DV of the Ohio <laughs> uh-huh. State football. Somebody said Tate Martell, and we were like, "That's that's it. That's perfect. That's it. That's, that's who it is. Absolutely perfect." <laughs> He's not the best. D- Krillin is not the best Dragon Ball Z character, though. It's Vegeta, and it's not even really close. I think it's. I have a big. I don't have it hanging up in this apartment, but in my last apartment, I got a big like colored poster that i hung up right next to the window mm. of it's the iconic vegeta staring into the rain oh yeah where he's pose. like he's, yeah and it's <laughs> it's one of the most perfect representations of male stoicism i've ever seen because it's like this guy is such a tragedy of a character oh, yeah. in so many ways and yet he is just an undeniable ass kicking machine that's right he is so amazing in so many ways and he's not even the best character in his own universe and it drives him crazy but yet he has so much to be proud of 
and he should be celebrated for you know it. what he is though he's the best dad on the show because goku is a terrible father and vegeta is in fact wow. a great dad so he beat the one i mean trunks traveled through time to get away from him i don't know how you know true that well is, it but, changed yeah. the course of his life and made him a better man so yeah no i i vegeta is the best character it's not close um um i that's an interesting question uh definitely yamcha he's also right? great no i'm totally yamcha's the no, worst I, character I on the show he's I was, I yamcha's he, most known. i didn't want i wanted to say a character that was gonna elicit a bad reaction no, no, yamcha's, yamcha's great because of the meme of him getting just like completely blasted by whatever those like little goobers are at the beginning of the show you know what i'm talking about where he's in that crater and he's just like lying face down um yeah uh, utterly useless even yeah terrible um, the the best character in the show is Piccolo. Piccolo's pretty good. I, you know what? That's that's an acceptable second answer, but I still think it's Vegeta. I still think it's he's. he's I, I I I I can't say Vegeta because you said Vegeta, or I would. <laughs> so I'll say Piccolo. All right, fair enough. All right, so that's. I have to admit too, he hasn't aged well at all. But Ro- Roshi's funny as hell. Roshi. He's just aged terribly. That's true. His 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 shtick is not quite as. Uh... Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily translate that that kind of stuff to today. I think. Uh, but as far as comic relief goes, you know, when you take out a lot of the other stuff, right. it, he's still pretty funny. I just like the obviously pivotal pivotal character. I'm, well, I'm I'm always a big fan of the like the um, the archetype character where it's like the the old dude who you wouldn't think would be good at anything, but turns out to be like a total like karate badass like i'm a big fan that's of that all guy. martial arts well that's true well not necessarily like you know i just like the mentor character who's you know he, he looks like he's a bum but he's not actually a bum i'm always a big fan and of teaches guy. goku to respect women <laughs> that's right if only master roshi all right so that's ask us anything for Chi-Chi's this week. pretty good too for what it's worth she's she's a better she's pa- she, well, yeah she's a better parent than goku um so anyway, uh, that's Ask Us Anything for this week. Thank you for sending those in. Please continue asking us questions about uh, anime shows from the 90s. Um, uh, let's get some Evangelion questions oh, next week. Please, no. I'm not. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I'm going to change the outro for this podcast to tumbling down, tumbling no, down, tumbling down. For the love of God. Um, okay, so a couple things to get us out of here. Uh, Michigan's kind of falling apart. That's fun. So I don't know if people have been following this, but first of all, the mass exodus from Ann Arbor. It's not just that. It, yes, there are tons. I mean, it's not the fact that all of these coaches are leaving Ann Arbor. That that's a problem for the the Wolverines. It's not even that Jim Harbaugh is the one who's taking them from him on his way out the door to the Chargers, which is also very funny. It's the fact that Michigan fans have enjoyed their national championship less than any other national or or World Series or whatever championship winning team you can think of in the history of sports. They they were probably happy for about a week. And then as soon as Harbaugh finalized his deal with the Chargers and started just poaching every single guy that he could from that that uh, coaching staff in Ann Arbor, 
they've been miserable since. And it's kind of hilarious and amazing that they were only able to um, appreciate their, their natty for about like six seconds. But some of the comments that I've been seeing online for Michigan fans, one of my favorites was that, uh, you know, like I can't believe we win a national championship and then immediately turn into a Mac team, which is like so perfectly on brand. I hope so. I do too. But to kind of list some of these guys that they've lost, they've lost their linebackers coach. They've lost their, who was also, I think, one of the recruiting coordinators. They've lost secondary coach. They've lost their defensive coordinator. They've lost their strength and conditioning coach, who was their huge culture guy. Uh, they lost their special teams coach, which is a surprise because that's Jay Harbaugh. Um, so, <laughs> Although Har- Jay Harbaugh is not going to the Chargers. He's going to a different team. Anyway, um, point is, though, is that they've lost – their best recruiters, including the recruiting coordinator, they've lost their culture guy, their strength and conditioning guy, essentially their Marathi. Um, it's kind of incredible. And Shrill Moore is, is just, you know, he's basically the meme of Will Smith standing in the uh, empty house at the end of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air at this point. Like, he's by himself. He's got to make some hires. I'm sure he'll make some decent hires. And I'm not, you know, saying that they're just going to, you know, pick up some scrub off the street. Like, Connor Stallions isn't coming back and coaching linebackers or something. But, it, it is kind of wild how decimated that team has been in terms of the coaching staff and the fact that Jim Harbaugh was the one to do it is just kind of the icing on the cake, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's great because two years ago, I, I keep pointing back to that thing I wrote about Harbaugh, where it's like, look, he doesn't love you like that. No, Harbaugh loves you. No know, matter how good he does with this, you know, renewal of the contract or whatever, he. he wants to go back to the NFL Mm -hmm. and it it's one thing for him to depart, but to, to, for this brain drain to take place is incredibly dramatic in a way that I don't even think Ohio state fans expected. Yeah. I mean, it, it is truly baffling that he would leave this place that just, anointed him back to the success that he wanted that he would leave them totally high and dry without really giving it a second thought and you wonder if it's you know just him being sinister and selfish for his own sake or if there's something else in play there in terms of you know (laughs) getting out anybody but you know, if that were really the case then Sharon Moore probably wouldn't have stuck around and then at that point it's like oh there's there's nobody's here that was around during the transgressions right, right, right. that is still worth interviewing. So at that point you can let it go. But, you know, most of the players, the key players in this case, not, you know, players not explicitly referring to players at this point, but the the characters mm-hmm. in this case have now departed for presumably greener pastures. So unfortunately it looks like this this chapter of history is being, you know, sealed off. And, you know, credit to Harbaugh for covering his tracks. But, you know, I mean, it does speak to the the reaction of the Michigan fan base, the way that the, the emotions have felt fleeting and inauthentic. <laughs> you just wonder what those were built on 
for the national. It's well, like you, you don't win it the right way. You don't get to celebrate it the way that you intended. Yeah. So I, this is where you're at. This is what you got to live with. And uh, I can't wait for next November. Oh, I know. Well, and the thing is, I mean, there's still a spring transfer portal. There's, I mean, they haven't lost a lot of dudes in the portal yet. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Moore's defensive hires and, and how many of those guys they can hang on to. They have a lot of first round. Yeah, talent. but we talked about it last week that like the carousels already, like most of the people have already gotten on and gotten off. So yeah. the talent pool for this cycle has already been largely drained. Well, yeah, but I'm saying it's like, not, are they it's not like they have to... a situation where they can go get like a chip Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. To I'm, I'm talking about Bill specifically their, their, their personnel, uh, not, not their coaching personnel, but their players, because they've got a lot of first okay. round talent on the defensive end of the football, but that doesn't mean that those guys are going to stick around. And if they end up making hires that those guys don't like, if they end up, you know, not meshing well, then I think a lot of those dudes might dip. So we'll see what happens. If they can hold on to it, they can still field a successful football team in the fall. But if they lose, you know, a lot of the depth that they have right now on, on the defensive side of the ball, they're in trouble. And I will be cackling with glee if that happens. Um, I would like to see it. I would like to see it. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out because that's, you know, <laughs> did you, have you seen Mad Max, right? The most recent Mad Max, right? Yes. Okay. Incredible movie. Yes. I've seen it twice. One of the best, one of the best action movies of the past, like 20, 25 years. Unbelievable. One of my favorite quotes uh, from that movie is from, uh, what's the name of the the big bad guy in that? The immortal, immortal something. Immor- immortal Joe or yeah, something, something like, that. like that. Well, one of my favorite, he's talking about water. He says, do not, my friends, become addicted to water. It will take hold of you and you'll resent its absence. And this is how I feel Michigan. Michigan didn't realize how sweet victory tasted because they had been denied it for so long. And now that they have it, they're like, oh, we're cool with, you know, whatever happens, you know, in the offseason. Fine. We got our natty. We're great. No, they're not. Because now they know what it's like and they want more of it. And they're not going to get more of it. Because Jim Harbaugh just gutted their entire freaking staff and they have to replace, you know, 10 dudes on the offense. So they have had, they have, they, and the Buckeyes are all waiting to lap it up, shiny and chrome. That's, that's right? right. That's right. Shiny and shiny and chrome. That's actually, I feel like that's a, that's a t shirt that we need to workshop on the, on the uh, Dragon Store. Might get into some copyright issues. Well, you never know. Um, okay, so real quick before we get out of here, uh, men's basketball won a game. Who cares? Women's basketball, though, hey, they wow. also won a game. <laughs> Chris Holtman is not going to be happy that you just glossed it's over fine. this team's only success in the last month. Uh, Win in regulation. Um, the only overtime we care about on this show happens in the Super that's Bowl. That's right. I just want to say this, though. Women's basketball, here's the thing about women's basketball, folks. They are number one in the Big Ten, and Caitlin Clark can deal with it because as ballyhooed as she is and how, you know, as as presumptive as the Hawkeyes were supposed to be as this, like, you know, all – you know, Big Ten dominating team, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? They just dropped a game because they couldn't handle, uh, you know, the heat. And uh, Ohio State women's basketball team, the Buckeyes, are now atop the Big Ten standings and moving up the national standings. Uh, so good for them. They're kicking butt. They uh, went out there and annihilated Michigan State the other day. 12-1 and one in Big Ten play. Good for them. I hope they go out and, and beat Iowa again in the tournament because that would be funny to me. And Caitlin Clark can, you know, cry about it. 
So whatever. Yeah, South Carolina's still undefeated, so probably not realistic that we're going to see Ohio State become the number one How team in the country you? at any point. But like <laughs> you know, we're we're used to seeing the football team float around at number two for most of the season at this point, right. anyway. So you know, it's it, it's always nice to see one of your uh, one of your squads at the top, and they're you know they're we've been talking about their run, and there's still time to get on the train. We've been telling you for, you know, since the I've, going back to January now, folks, you, there is still time for you to get on with some Ohio State basketball success this season right. that goes further than, you know, just blindly hoping the men's team gets on the bubble, which they're not. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Win a road game first. That will not happen. Yes, I agree. So anyway, um, and also just real quick, uh, Ohio State wrestling beat the absolute ever-living crap out of uh, the hoosiers number six ohio state uh, on senior day so good for them so there's definitely positive things happening with ohio state sports you just gotta you know you just gotta look a little bit so that's pretty cool uh also pretty cool was this episode of the 11 dubcast and uh, we'll be back next week to talk about all the things going on and to uh you know ignore men's basketball and cheer on women's basketball and be great uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll go on a 10-game winning streak. Who knows? Give credit to Holtman. That's right. Give, gotta, hey, gotta give credit to him. Um, all right. So until next time, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see.